are back. I didn't uh, I didn't do a real mic check today, so thank goodness it sounds decent. Turn the mic up a little more. This is the ATP Podcast. This is episode 130. We have reached a new level. The 130s. Um, it's your boy Jay. Mark Figaroa is in the building. And we are in week two of the Australian Open. A lot to dig into here. A lot of people are gone that we talked about last week. Um, how you feeling, Fig? How you doing? Oh, this is going to be a very good episode. A lot of off-court stuff. Uh, it, it'll be entertaining. Beautiful. That's what I like to hear. When you're optimistic, I'm excited. Yeah, so uh, normally we start with the women, but this is fun, so funny to me. So we'll just start with the Netflix curse. Oh my god. Now, I have uh, my thoughts here. Yes, yeah, so as you know, a Netflix uh, released a tennis uh, documentary and all of their stars that appeared on the Netflix series either did not show up to the Australian Open because of injury or were eliminated in the third round or less. Mm. So you have Casper Rudd who was the number 2 seed. He lost in the second round. You have Kokonakis who also lost in the second round. On Shabor, who was the number two woman in the world, lost in the second round. Berrettini lost to Murray in the first round. Uh, Sakari lost to a unseated player in the third round. That one is, that's the one that's interesting. Yes, very interesting. And then you have uh, Tom Janovic, who didn't show up because of injury. Mm-hmm. Taylor Fritz lost in five to a non-seated player. And he was one of the favorites to win the Australian Open. <sighs> then you got Badosa didn't show up because of injury and of course Nick Kyrgios entered but then made the announcement about his knee yeah so do you believe in the Netflix curse not even a little bit um this one's baloney to me the people who were upset are people who the only one that really startling to me is Sakari Sakari really really was a genuine guaranteed deep run in the Australian Open in my head. She really was. Um, losing to Brooksby, losing to Andy Murray, losing to Popperin. These are respectable losses. I'm sorry. They are. They they make sense to me. But, <clears throat> yeah, Sakari's unseated loss, Jabor's. The WTA losses are just a little bit more disappointing for me. The ATP ones, I'm not really shook up by them, and I, I'm not going to blame it on the Netflix curse. <laughs> um, and for me, I think that Kyrgios getting a light injury is not as surprising. He just played the closest thing to a full season he's ever played last year. Came off of the exhibition with Novak. It is what it is. It is what it is. It's very disappointing that Kyrgios isn't in it. But also at the same time, are we really surprised that he had an injury? Um, he actually had surgery, by the way. Yes. So that it's not a joke injury this time around. No, it's not. But yeah. Um, Casper Ruud, who did he lose to? He's lost to Brooksby. He lost to Brooksby. Yeah, that's a respectable loss to me. Casper Ruud, to me, I'm not all about the hype like everyone is. So, for me, unless it's the French Open, that's the only time I expect Casper Ruud to actually make it a week two for sure. French Open, he's going to week two in my head. That's it. Any other slam, he can go out early. Yes. Now, this is also very interesting. This is the first time in the Open era that both... The one and two seed in both the men and the women did not make it to the quarterfinals. Mm. What are your thoughts on that? 
That is very, very interesting. Now, let me tell you this. In the women's draw, who are your true in your head one and two seeds? Iga and... Jabor. Jabor would be your number two? Yes. Okay, so that's that's kind of startling because they both did go out. Yes. Um, and then on the men's side, my, who are your true one and twos? Well, the true one and twos are obviously going to be Djokovic and Nadal to me. Yeah, I agree. So, yes. Um, on the men's side, I think things are a bit more true to the draw. Nadal, you know, who's been injury riddled and battered and beaten up, he went out. But obviously, Novak is just dominating. So, you know, I I am a little bit surprised that our one and two seeds are getting weaker and weaker. And I think it is a sign of what's to come. You yes. Know, I really do. Yes. Now, um, Robert Kina, who won Wimbledon, was penalized for the Russian-Belarus thing. So she should have been in the top 10. So mm-hmm. her playing Iga in the fourth round or wherever rough, it was, rough. that was very rough. But um, you still have to play your opponent. And everybody was looking forward to that Coco Goff Iga match. And then they both lose in that same round. Look, I wasn't looking forward to it. <laughs> no, Iga was going to destroy her yeah, most gonna, likely. She was going to mop her because she still hasn't fixed the forehand issue. Right. You know, and Iga's going to open that court up on that cross court forehand. So I was not interested in the Coco Goff Iga match. But. I mean, we've talked about this before. Odd circumstances put people who should be in the top eight outside of the top eight, and then they get drawn by high seeds. And then right. all of a sudden, you have these ridiculous matchups early in events. Yes. So, also a big shout out to Azarenka, who has made a resurgence right now. Mm-hmm. She destroyed Pagula. As a matter of fact, Pagula was saying that she had a plan which was to attack Azarenka's forehand. Mm-hmm. And then once Azarenka was just getting everything back, she didn't know what to do. Mm. You can tell that she was just, what do I do? Yeah. And she kept looking at her box and she just didn't play her game. Yeah. I don't know if you saw the match, but if you did, what are your thoughts on that victory? Um, I didn't get to watch the actual full match. I saw highlights. And if you're going to be totally honest with you, Azarenka's just looking a little bit more like prime peak Azarenka. I was actually a fan of the Azarenka forehand about six or seven years ago. So the fact that people are using that as um, a strategy or tactic to beat her is almost hilarious to me because if Azarenka's really in rhythm and playing her best tennis, you're not going to beat her that way. I think Lee Na was outmatching her going backhand to backhand actually back in the day. So uh, quote me if I'm wrong there, but... Pagula probably came in with a weak game plan and then still wasn't able to execute it or hit the shots the way she wanted to. Yeah, once that game plan doesn't work, you have to move on to another one, mm-hmm. and she just didn't. She's she's more of an aggressive player, but you can tell that she sort of got stuck doing that. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, hitting down the middle of the court would have been better. Yeah. Uh, try to open up some shots, but she just stayed to her, that game plan, and she was just confused. You can see it. Mm-hmm. But Azarenka, congrats. Uh, this is the first semifinal since the 2020 U.S. Open. Mm. And she was the 2012-13 Australian Open champion. So mm-hmm. uh, do you give her a shot to win it? Do you think she'll beat Rabakina in the semifinals? She has a big serve. Not Azarenka, Rabakina. Yeah, yes. yeah. Honestly, I'm I'm not sure. Um, is Sabalenka still in it? Yes, it's yeah. Sabalenka and Lynette. Yeah, I don't know if Azarenka will be able to pull through both of those, but... 
to me, this, if there's a slam, Azarenka makes it all the way through, it's this one. This is the Azarenka slam to me where she's had the most success. Just uh, from my memories, not necessarily statistically. So I think she has a shot, you know. As long as Iga is not in the draw, I think every player in the draw has an opportunity here. Yes, I agree. Mm. Yeah, so <clears throat> also big shout out to Ostapenko. Uh, she is a former uh, French Open champion, mm-hmm. and uh, she she was the one who beat Coco Goff, mm-hmm. lost to Rabakin in the next round. But her thing is that every time she misses a shot or there's a shot that hits the line, she's been saying that Hawkeye, it's not Hawkeye, but the uh, challenge system isn't working. So she's always <laughs> saying, that doesn't work. She's always looking at her coach saying, was that in? And as a matter of fact, people have come out mm-hmm. and called her out. As a matter of fact, um, Wozniacki is commentating, and she even said, I practiced with her one time, and after that, I've had more than enough. I would never hit with her again. So what are your thoughts on uh, that little feud there and Ostapenko making it so far? She So Wozniacki said that about Ostapenko? Correct. That's hilarious. <laughs> I've never, I didn't hear that. Um, that is a little bit funny. There has been select athletes who are not fans of Hawkeye. I remember Federer was not a big fan of it. And then he kind of, he kind of came around on the tail end of his career and learned to love it. But, you know, I've always thought it was very interesting. Certain tournaments, I don't know if you remember at the San Diego Open. Yes. There were no line judges. So if a ball was out, it just, the computer system just said, that's out. And they still, you know, what's really funny is they still had a quote unquote challenge available. So it was really just your way of getting like a a rhythm breaker. But, you know, it's like, what are you challenging the computer? So, um, yeah, I, I honestly think that it's just as accurate as human eyes are, if not more accurate. So there's not a whole lot of you think your eyes better than a camera. You know, I, I don't get it. Yes. So, uh, excuse me, Ostapenko is the first Latvian to reach the Australian Open quarterfinals. Mm -hmm. So that was pretty big. So congrats to her. And then just to add, I don't know if you knew this, back at Wimbledon, maybe two, three years ago, Ostapenko and um, um, Tom Janovich, who was one of the Netflix stars, Mm -hmm. had little drama. So Ostapenko accused... um, uh, Tom Janovich of cheating because she was using medical timeouts. Mm-hmm. Then um, all of a sudden, uh, Tom Janovich said, or sorry, it was the other way around. And then all of a sudden, Ostapenko said, You can't see that I'm legit injured. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Tom Janovich told Ostapenko, You're the worst player on the WTA. <laughs> so there's been a lot of drama yeah. with Ostapenko. That's so, so funny. I wonder what it is about her that just rubs people the wrong way. Yeah, there's there's something there, and I just don't understand what it is. <laughs> oh, man. So now we're going to talk about the funny part, which is uh, best antagonist of the uh, Australian Open so far. Hmm. Okay, so we have, as we just mentioned, Hawkeye. <laughs> we Hawkeye. Have, we have the Netflix curse. Oh, my goodness. We have... Being it was being a top seed bad at the Australian Open, and then where's Waldo? If you are unaware of that, you had guys with a white and red shirt stripes, yeah, and they were mocking Djokovic every time he would do something, they were yelling. 
uh, Djokovic was trying to get them out of mm. the stadium, and they were just all over him. And he would try to get them out, try, and they just kept antagonizing him. So out of those four, who do you think is the, the winner? Uh, probably being a high seed, unless your name is Djokovic. That's probably the the true antagonist. It's wiped out a lot of players, especially in the WTA. I think the only high seeds we have left on the men's side are Pan Novak. On the women's side, Sabalenka is the only high seed we have. Yes. So, you know, that's three out of eight, less than half, gone. And they're gone earlier than we realized. So... Maybe the high seeds. I think the funniest one's the Waldo, though. Yes. You know, those guys antagonizing Novak is hilarious. Um, it's a little bit funnier because tennis tennis crowds aren't actually good at heckling. I don't think they're actually good at it. You know, um, I think, you know, we've got the lady who's, like, antagonizing Kyrgios. And he's like, she's had, like, 100 drinks tonight, Meg. Yeah, it Wimbledon. Yeah, Wimbledon. And, you know, we... we Actually, I have a fun fact for you. Uh, I'll just tell you right now. So, speaking of Novak being heckled, um, I watched an interview of Novak. It's an hour and 15 minute long interview that he did. Good for you. And uh, during it, he says, when I used to play Roger, I had to come up with a manifestation to overcome I remember how that. everyone yes. dislikes me. He said, when they started screaming Roger's name, I would trick myself into thinking they're saying Djokovic. Yes, I remember that. (laughs) Yes. That's ridiculous. I was like, wait, what? He's like, I would just imagine they're saying my name. And I was like, this guy's an actual psychopath. (laughs) You hear a thousand people screaming a man's name and you turned it into your name. Yeah, that's why you have hecklers now. <laughs> the fact that you wasted an hour and 15 minutes of your life watching the Whoa. Djokovic documentary, that's good for you. That's the GOAT, <laughs> Yeah, it's good for you. But, uh, um, <clears throat> excuse me. Yeah, so that's what happened there. So then we have the best moment of the Australian Open. Oh, I know mine. What's yours? So Tell me the, the list. The nominees are Murray mm-hmm. with his, uh, you know, his two victories and his, all that. His 10 hours yes. of tennis. Sissy Pass shooting his shot on Margot Robbie. Next. And then you have Ostapenko questioning Hawkeye. <laughs> of those three, or do you have another? What would you think is the best moment thus far at the Australian Open? Look, bottom line, Annie Murray. And there's no debating it. Annie Murray's retrieving five consecutive overheads to beat Tanasi, dropping out Bertini, who was probably my second, or no, he's probably my third favorite pick for the whole thing. Knocking him out and then beating a home, uh, home, uh, home field advantage player in Tanasi. My mind's blown. His run was mind-boggling. If he hadn't played ten hours of tennis, I would think he'd still be in the draw now. Oh, big time! Yes, he was playing that good. Oh yes, yes, big time. And then we have the nominees for the best story. Mm. So here we have uh, Rabakina going from court thirteen to center stage. Obviously, mm. since she's a, a, a very low seed, she had to play in the outside, outside courts, and now she's in the semifinals. Yeah. Then you have Americans not named Roddick. So, as you know, this is a very big tournament for the Americans. We will get to that later. And even Kyrgios had a little heckling on Twitter. Mm. Then you got Vika proving moms are still good at the sport. Hey. Obviously, she's semifinalist. Yeah. And then, of course, you have the return of Djokovic, the quote-unquote GOAT. Who are you, what is your best story out of those four, or do you have another? Uh, being honest with you, my best story is going to be Andy Murray. 
that's going to be my favorite story there because this is the first time for me we didn't just see Andy Murray have a moment of brilliance. He had two consecutive massive matches. He opened up single-handedly a quarter of a bracket. Yes, that's true. Himself, by himself. He knocked out Berrettini and Tanasi. How does the heavyweight of that bracket become Batista Agut? Are you kidding me? That's that's mind-blowing from a guy who's got a fake hip. Right. <laughs> you know, so um, to me, that's definitely a big story there. Um but the 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 next one that's probably a good conversation to have is the Americans not named Roddick. Right. That's a big story on the men's and women's side. Yes, that that is that's the one I'm picking for sure. Yeah. So um, since we just talked about that, let's talk about the Americans that made it. Uh, mm-hmm. We had three Americans in the quarterfinals or something along those lines. Yeah. First time in the ten years or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are your thoughts on the rise of American tennis? Um, it's it's outrageously hard to understand. To be completely honest with you, none of these guys are the chosen one to me. You know, um, Tiafo, who, as you know, I've stood up for Tiafo in group chats. Like, I've, I've always respected Tiafo, but Tiafo, what he did at the U.S. Open and the expectations he has set for himself moving forward, him also technically being a part of the Netflix program, just un, um, unaired, you know, there's a lot to be said about what he's done for his career this late. Then, of course, you know, you got to bring up the fact that the last class of Americans that we thought were it, Riley Opelka, John Isner, Jack Sock, Sam Query, not really Sam Query, but, you know, that whole class of guys there who didn't really break breakthrough. You know, they were kind of uh, the top 25 guys. Um, now we've got Corda. Um, what's his name? Shelby, Shelton, Shelton, yes. Shelton, Ben Shelton, Tommy Paul. Um, I mean, these guys are blowing my mind. Yes. Well, what the hell? The only one that made sense to me was Corda. Right. Corda made perfect sense. He's always looked promising since the beginning. Yes. But Tommy Paul, where the hell did you come from? Uh, Shelton, where the hell did you come from? You know, these guys are really, I, I don't even see it in their game per se. Um, that they're breaking through this quickly. Yes, uh, Corda. I, I like Corda's story. He definitely took it slow. Yeah. He played in the lower challenger events mm-hmm. until he gained his confidence, and now you can see it. Yeah. Unfortunately, he did hurt his wrist. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why uh, he had to retire against Hashinov. Yeah. But I think that if he would have been at 100%, he would have had him. Yeah. But yeah, that, that's a tough one. So I actually got the stat now. So... Uh, ben Shelton and uh, Tommy Paul playing in the quarters was the first time there's been an American quarterfinal since 2007. Jeez. So that's how long it's been. That's like a, a James Blake in, uh, I don't know who. Yes, uh, most likely Roddick or something. Yeah, Roddick yes. or someone like that. That's that's long time ago. Yes. Yeah, so almost two decades ago. So uh, before I get to the ESPN, let's talk about Nick Kyrgios. Oh, also, I don't want to skip over this um, with your Americans topic. Okay. The WTA has been carrying right. for America. Yes. Uh, I just want to get that out there. Obviously, right. Pagula, Coco yes. Goff, McNally. It's a long list. Oh, big time. It's a very long list of women who have been consistently showing up in slams. Um, not to mention, obviously, the Sloan Stevens, the Serena Williams. Who, It's almost been very consistent the last decade and a half, so... I just want to give credit there. Shout out to Coco Goff, who's actually still in the women's draw for doubles. Right. So, yeah, shout out there. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a good point. Good job. 
so <clears throat> excuse me so uh let's just get to hold on let me see here for the finals man i lost my train of thought you just <laughs> mentioned how uh, what did you say let me see here this is what happens when i cut you off <laughs> <laughs> but uh you just mentioned something about um what was coming up well, I was going to mention something else, but I can't think of it. So I'm just going to get to the ESPN coverage. Oh, you did say ESPN. Yes, but there was something else that I wanted to mention. Maybe it'll come a little later. So a lot of people are complaining because ESPN are not showing the night matches at the Australian Open. They're showing the day matches. Mm-hmm. So at the Australian Open, the night matches start at 12 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Mm-hmm. And they have been heavyweight matches. As we know, Andy Murray... Mm-hmm. Uh, he had that five-hour war, and uh, a lot of people are complaining because the Americans have made it that far. But if you don't have ESPN Plus, you're not you're not able to see it. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that? It's frustrating. Um, it's another one of those situations where we realize the major networks don't fully understand tennis. You know, they don't understand the way to cover tennis, the way to air tennis, and it's kind of frustrating as a fan. You know. Um, We've had these consistent woes since the transition from cable to streaming has happened, which is, okay, this tournament's on ESPN, this one's on Tennis TV app, this one's on Peacock, this one's on Amazon Prime, you know, and if I wanted to just watch tennis all year, I need five apps, you know, and if I just use cable, I miss half the matches anyway, so... I think that there needs to be some type of consolidation with the networks where we could just watch everything get aired. Uh, When I used to have DirecTV years ago... There was a special channel that just showed all the courts and you could just watch any match you want while it was happening at the event. You can go to court 14 to court two. You know, everything was on one major combination of channels. So it's a little frustrating right now that we're in this transition period. Yes, this also happened at the French Open. So at the French Open, you had one night match and the the people that are went to watch that match would pay only to see that one night match now that match was shown on peacock and that's the only place you could see it ridiculous so people were getting mad about that and the american fan base were saying these guys are making it to the quarterfinals and we can't see them Mm. the other complaint they had is the fact that the announcers who the heck are they nobody knows who they are if you've been listening to espn plus nobody knows who these people are uh mcenroe's not there um the the other mcenroe both mcenroe's aren't there nobody knows john John, james blake navratilova even even chris fowler yeah they're all can i get chris fowler instead of these guys so what are your thoughts on that that's a little odd i think it's um i think that we're just going through growing pains of the networks all consolidating and settling in i think that 10 years from now tennis will have it figured out and that's a ridiculous number to say out loud (laughs) but but yeah i think that we're just in a bit of a rough patch it wasn't always like this yes so the greed came up as a matter of fact it's a shame because instead of showing the matches they're showing espn uh three hours in a row and they're most likely showing the same episode over and over yeah so it's a shame that they didn't show uh, the Australian Open and they decided to do that mm. but you know it is what it is moving on we have now we're going to talk about oh no that's that's what I was going to say it just came boom gotcha Kyrgios so mm. it was Kyrgios he went on 
uh, social media and said, huh, this seems like a 250 event. All the heavyweights are gone. Where, where are all these Americans coming from? Uh, <laughs> a goot in the quarters? Wow. What are your thoughts on Curios calling out the ATP and the lack of top seeds at the quarterfinals? Um, I think it's kind of funny, you know, but at the end of the day, it's not that bad. It is not a 250. He's got to relax. We know what a 250 looks like. That's when JJ Wolf's in the semifinals. So calm down, buddy. Uh, we still have Stefanos and Novak in the semis. So I think he's exaggerating a lot. This looks like a Masters 1000. I'd say that. Um, but, you know, no, I'm not going to let him get that joke off for free. So it's kind of amusing because I know he's thinking in his head, I could have made it to this final for sure. That's probably what's going through his head. That's most likely what's going through his head. Yeah. And this is not a 250. It is nothing like a 250. Um, we saw ridiculous first round matchups. Are you kidding me? Andy Murray versus Berrettini. Andy Murray versus um, Kokonakis. Yeah, he's got to relax. He's got to relax. This is nothing like that. Um, 250 events, the first and second round are a complete waste of time. You know, it looks like a challenger event. So. You know, I'm uh, I'm amused, but I'm not entertained or I'm not accepting of it. So, no thanks, Curios. <laughs> yes, he's just throwing big time shade there. So, yeah. uh, the American rise alone is is worthy. And these are guys, as a matter of fact, I don't know if you knew this, Ben Shelton. This mm. is the first time he's left the country to play uh, an, an event and he makes it to the quarterfinals. So the fact that Kirio said that is ridiculous. As a matter of fact, he just got praised on the Netflix series. They tried to draw him as a good guy, you know? And he's a major antagonist. Oh, for sure. Yeah, so the fact that he's talking all this mess is just crazy to me. But yeah, so Netflix people, this is the Kirios right here. Air him. Yes. Air this one on television. Yes, this isn't this uh the one that was at the Netflix series is not the real Kyrgios. No, he's not. This is the real Kyrgios. So now t- speaking of Djokovic, uh, his dominance and down under, uh, you're going to be impressed by this. Uh-oh. So <clears throat> obviously we know he didn't play last year. Yeah. But his last loss in Australia was in 2018. I can't believe he lost this mess- match to Hyung Chung. Where, has- oh. where did it? Where is he? He, that kid fell off of earth. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I forgot about that. You yes. know, he tried to make his comeback this uh, he, last he did. year. Yes. He tried to. Right. Since then, wow. he's won 38 matches in a row. Now, I have a problem with that. Because since he didn't play last year, is it really in a row, per se? So, I mean, that's up to debate. But he's won 38, hmm. he's won 38 matches in a row, including... ATP Cup, Adelaide, and the Australian Open. What are your thoughts on uh, Djokovic's dominance in Australia? He likes a down under. There's a there's an extra funny joke I could add to that, but I won't on this show. Um, but, I mean, there's just something about him down there. I think he's especially angry at Australia <laughs> at this point because of uh, him getting basically gatekept out of it because of covid and his vaccination beliefs it's uh it's costed him quite a bit oh yeah you know and so now he's down there with a major chip on his shoulder 
and he's taking it out on some great athletes. You Which know? I will get to in a bit. Yeah. Um, so, you know, no matter how you look at it, that's an incredible record. No matter how you look at it. Oh, big time. This is his 10th Australian Open semifinal. So he, he means business down under. And obviously, if he wins this, he'll have 10 Australian Opens. So that that's very impressive. Uh, going on, uh, Djokovic was actually saying he had a little beef with Diminor. So he, in his press conference, he said, Diminor called me out last year about me and my COVID uh, beliefs. And I just took it out on him. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, he's definitely not lying because that was a nasty thumping he gave him. The Diminor-Djokovic matchup made Diminor look like it was a 250 event. <laughs> That's how bad that was. So, um, It was bad. And I think, uh, if I remember correctly, Diminor was just like, he's playing the best tennis of his life. Or he said something like that during his press conference. You could tell he was just shook. You know, uh, It's funny to hear some of these guys um, say what they think after facing Novak at the Australian Open. Yes. So the reason for that also was because Diminor was questioning Djokovic's injury. As a matter of fact, even uh, um, Woodridge, Woodridge, sorry, Todd Woodridge also called him out saying that it's a little gamesmanship on his part, mm-hmm. that it's not as bad as he wants it to be. And Djokovic went to said, why do I always have to defend myself mm-hmm. when somebody else gets injured? Oh, it's a big deal. But when I do it, it's always a nagging injury or it's fake. Mm. Do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, he's not lying there. And I think that the reason <laughs> the reason uh, people are so uh, mad at Novak is because he talks about injuries and then just still thumps people anyway. But... You know what's funny is when Novak loses matches, he doesn't typically blame it on an injury. So I don't really know where the bitterness comes from from the players. They could call him dramatic, but I don't think he's faking it. Um, Like the one match where his hands are trembling and shaking, and he's like about to drop his bottle on the ground of water, and then he just pulls it out and wins. You know, stuff like that. I get it. I get where they're coming from. But, I mean, there's a part of me that wants to call it psychological war as well. You know, he's out there making you think you have a chance and then (laughs) lulling you to sleep and then murdering you, you know. So, I mean, I wouldn't overthink it. If I was anyone on the tour, I would just assume the perfect version of Novak's walking on the court every time. And just prepare for that. Yes. So, the other thing that I saw on social media that was uh, getting getting a little bit of traction, I'm going to spend a lot of time on it, was that he received a water bottle, a drink, and then it had a note on it. Mm-hmm. So everybody's all, what the heck is going on? Mm-hmm. So everybody's speculating as to, huh, that's very interesting. So, yeah, there's always drama with Djokovic for sure. Um, you know, he brings it upon himself a lot, but, yeah. you know, it is what it is. <clears throat> so I'm going to try to find to see what exactly Diminor said about Djokovic. Let me see here. While you're doing that, I do have some questions for you as well. Um, obviously they always try to build up the narrative and storyline behind a matchup of two players who are going to go against each other, but sometimes there's nothing to talk about, right? 
This time around, they're trying to hype up Tommy Paul before he plays Novak. Is there anything that you can think of that would justify why we would hype up Tommy Paul before a Novak match? Is there any way there could be an upset? No way. He plays too defensive. Uh, he's he's pretty much Djokovic. Hmm. He plays that way. Yeah. When he played Ben Shelton, he was redirecting Ben Shelton's shots. Mm-hmm. And to me, he just doesn't have the firepower to beat Djokovic. Yeah. Djokovic is too fast for that stuff. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, now that you brought it up, uh, right now there is nobody that can match his physicality and tactics to beat him right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, the people that can are injured or retired. So Federer can match his tactics mm-hmm. and can apply it. And Nadal can definitely match his physicality and tactics to beat him. Yeah. But right now, I don't see it. He's going to win. Yeah. I hope not, but... Yeah, they've been playing um, behind-the-scenes footage from the locker room. Yes. They played a clip of Kyrgios talking to Taylor Fritz about Tommy Paul. And they were both like, the man's so fast. The bloke is the top three fastest man on the tour. They're saying all these things. And I was thinking to myself, you guys are taking their conversation way out of context. That's all fun and fluffy talk until he's against Djokovic. Right. And then it doesn't matter. So it's just interesting to see the media trying to build up a matchup. And I was just curious if you thought an upset was possible. Right. So here's what Diminor said. He said... I'm not saying it's game gamesmanship. It's pretty obvious he had a little injury. A little injury. Mm-hmm. But at times, it looks like it's about to snap off. So he's playing it up nicely here and there. But you know, that's Djokovic. <laughs> and then he went on to say, if I can't beat an injured player, there's something wrong with me. So that's what he said. And then his comeback, Novak's comeback, was what I said earlier. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that? They're overthinking it. They've already lost the mental battle if they're letting his um, his injuries even dictate the way they think going into a match. With Novak, with Nadal, with e- Federer is probably the only one, but those other two guys do not even think about their injuries because the second you think about it, you're going to lose the match. You know, we talk, We heard about Nadal's foot being so bad he wasn't sure if he was going to ever play again, and then he wins the Australian Open. You know, um, don't worry about it. Do not think about it. Just play your game because you might get the Nadal that loses to Fritz at Indian Wells, or you might get the Nadal that beats Medvedev at the Australian Open. You don't know which guy you're going to face. And so thinking about it any more than you should is just going to hurt your own opportunity. Yes. Now, this was a very interesting comment. Azarenka, after the Pagula win, talked about Djokovic as a matter of fact you remember this vividly because we will talk about it over and over Mm. she said that it took over a decade for her to get mentally prepped for the scrutiny from the media as you remember Sloane Stevens Mm -hmm. right she said and I'm just going to read it it was one of the worst things I've ever had to go through in my professional career the way I was treated after the moment the way I had to explain myself over and over at night because people didn't want to believe me and the fact that I was really injured. So she said it affected her for 10 years. And she sort of defended Novak and said, I can relate to him. And if he's injured, he's injured. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on her defending Novak? And what are your thoughts of her saying that it took 10 years to get over it? I have a lot of thoughts. Um, 
So first and foremost, I truly do, truly believe that Azarenka was injured and Novak was injured. Truly. But here's another thing. I believe 90% of the tour are feeling some type of aches, ailments, soreness, and injuries while they're playing their matches. These guys are doing 11-month seasons of a high-end sport that's individual. Three to five-hour matches a day. Of course they have injuries. Now, some of them broadcast them. Some of them no one cares about because they're not popular. And some of them are so popular, if they just mention an ache or a plaguing feeling, it gets broadcasted much louder to the media. So, you know, we have to be very careful with acting like athletes are not injured when they are. But on the flip side, it should not take you 10 years to get over anything. It should not. 10 years is ridiculous. It should take you maybe a year. That's me being courteous. You know, um, I there there are lesser athletes that have dealt with greater media attention that got over it faster. Right. You know, so I can't roll with it. You know, we've had athletes who are accused of doping. We've had athletes that are antagonized about basic behaviors or, you know, social things that happen on the tour. They get over it. You know, Kyrgios was villainized early in his career. Djokovic used to quit because of breathing issues. You know, all these people have their issues. Andy Roddy got questioned about losing a Federer a million times. And, you know, they got, they got over it, you know. So I think she needs to get over it, too. I'm actually shocked that, that it took 10 years because it appears that it didn't really affect her. Yeah. So the fact that she said that was very shocking to me. But the fact that she stood up and said, yeah, I, I can relate what Djokovic said. Uh, yeah, I can understand that. Now, since we mentioned that, there's two more stories. So Iga, after her loss, she said, I didn't play to win. I just played not to lose. Mm-hmm. And she said that the grind has been mentally hard for her. Mm-hmm. And then everybody on social media is proud that she did the Osaka thing and say, you know, mental health and this and this. What are your thoughts on that? I don't want to hear that. I, I feel her on what she said. I totally feel her on the play not to lose thing. Anyone who's ever played competitive tennis at any level, recreational all the way to professional, you've been caught in a scenario where you're almost kind of waiting for the match to get handed to you a little bit. You know, instead of going for your shots and taking the match, you're almost playing it to just wait for it to end. And I feel her there. And that's cool. She said that in the press conference. Cool. But at the same time, I hate that the media takes it and runs with it the way they do. It's not that deep, bro. Yes, I I agree. Uh, Pete Sampras, when he won the U.S. Open, when he lost the next year, he said it was a relief for me to not carry this much pressure. Mm-hmm. And then the legends jumped down his throat. Mm-hmm. So I can understand her saying that because it's sort of helpful to her. Yeah. But as you just said, yes, I believe that the media tried running with it mm-hmm. and tried to create something more than what it really was. Yeah. So, yes, for sure. <clears throat> and now the last story. There's way more stories than this, but we can go on forever. But this is a funny <laughs> one. Uh, bathroom breaks. Oh. So Djokovic uh, almost was refused the bathroom break in his first or second round. He kind of was. Yes, and then he hmm. just took off. Yeah. And now here's the one. Murray, in his five-set war, five hours. In the fifth set, the referee told him, you can't go. As a matter of fact, 
the joke made it onto Saturday Night Live. What are your thoughts <laughs> on uh, the referee denying Djokovic a bathroom break in the fifth? I'm uh, sorry, Murray, a bathroom break after a five set war. Yeah, that one's a little bit crazy because they've allowed the most terribly timed bathroom breaks in other scenarios. And to me, Murray's actually one of the most integrity filled athletes on the tour. You know, I really do think he's a bit more of a pure, honest athlete. And he's more by the book. So the fact he got rejected is kind of surprising to me. The fact that he was out there for five hours. I mean, I don't know if I could last five hours without taking a piss, you know. So um, I'm really surprised by that. You know, these guys are probably drenched in sweat. And, you know, a bathroom break after five hours to me should almost be warranted. So I'm a little surprised by that. Yes. And then the joke was on Saturday Night Live. It was on the weekend update was said, yes, uh, the, the problem was is that he had to take a deuce. Ha ha. Okay, cool. So that was the joke. So um, That is disgusting. Yes. <laughs> That's a but, terrible joke. Yeah, but deuce, deuce. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Nice. Okay, so as a matter of fact, Djokovic's 2012 win against Nadal was 5 hours, 53 minutes. As we know, that's when he ripped the shirt. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. I said I got pumped for that. Oh, and I'm for not, sure. And I'm not a Djokovic fan. Uh, Murray defeating Kokonakis after being two sets to love down, Whew. five hours forty five minutes. So it was only seven minutes less, and they tried to deny that man a bathroom break. Ridiculous. So, do you have anything else? Um, honestly, I don't. Um, I guess my uh, my next question for you is just I'd like to hear your official hot take since next time we sit down here, the Australian Open will be over. Yes. Um, who will win the men's side? Who will win the women's side? Do you have anything to say about the doubles at all? Yes. Uh, to me, uh, as I've just been saying throughout this whole podcast, it's going to be Djokovic. Mm-hmm. I don't see Paul beating him. Sissy uh, Pass, to me, has the best chance, but uh, Djokovic is 10-2. and two. Against Sissy Pass. And we remember their finals against each other. And as a matter of fact, Sissy Pass has not beaten Djokovic since 2019. So I don't see it. I don't see Hashinov beating Djokovic either. To me, Sissy Pass has the best chance. Mm-hmm. On the women, it's a little tougher. Um, I would like to see Azarenka uh, beat uh, the Wimbledon champ, but she just has a massive serve. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I'm leaning towards her in that match. Uh, Sabalenka should beat Lynette. So I'm thinking either Sabalenka or Rabakina, and most likely I'll go with Sabalenka. Okay, I like that. I like that. And obviously, men's doubles is a lot less interesting this year. Um, but yeah, I I can't even tell you. I can't tell you a whole lot is worth talking about on men's doubles. There's one seeded team left. In yes. The whole thing. But in women's, are we going to bet on Coco Goff and Pagula? Yes, most likely, yes. Yeah. Yes. They they breadsticked the last team they played in the quarters. 1-1. They, they were mad with their uh, singles defeat, so they took it out on these poor ladies. Yeah, and I don't know if you watched the highlights, but if you haven't, you really, really, really should. They played against this Asian team, Chan, and I forgot the other girl's name, but they were, they were hitting point-blank shots at Goff while she was at the net, you know, from the service line. Golf was finding a way to close her racket and hit winning volleys off of these shots five or six separate times. She couldn't do anything wrong. Um, it was one of those matches where if they play like that again, this thing is there. So 
it was a very funny highlight reel to watch because it seemed like the Asian girls were doing everything right, everything right, and losing every point. So pretty funny to watch because I like to watch things like that happen. <laughs> oh, big time. But uh, yeah, that's pretty much everything. I pretty much agree with all your hot takes. They're not even hot takes. All your takes on um, the tournament results. I do think CC Pop plays Novak in the final. And we saw how CC Pop blew his other opportunities against Djokovic. I think that's going to happen again. Yes, I see that. And then uh, the other hot takes, you guys can look them up. Uh, Russian uh, controversy we have. Tony Nadal saying that they need to change the speed of the ball, that they're not protecting the ATP players. So there's a ton of stuff that we could have talked about, but that's the stuff that you guys can look up if interested. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode and I hope you guys were entertained. ATP, adios.